You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. I want to talk today about the gospel of the kingdom of God, and I want to start with the story of a man named Hiro Onada. He's a Japanese soldier in the Japanese army during World War II. Now, 1945, World War II comes, comes to an end, and this man, he was stationed in the Philippines, he refuses to believe the news that the war is over. He considers it deceptive tactics by the enemy forces. So he goes into the jungles of the Philippines by himself to carry out his own uh, personal war. Now, the Japanese government hears about this, and they uh, send people to get him back, but he keeps saying, uh, these are enemy lies. I can't go back until I get a direct order from my commanding officer. So eventually, the Japanese government hunts down the commanding officer, by now is very old, sends this guy to the Philippines and orders his return. And then only then, Hiro Onada uh, gives up his war and goes back home. Now, this is 29 years later. So, let's imagine, for 29 years, this man out in the jungle by himself, carrying on his own personal war. And uh, as you hear the story, uh, what is your response? What's going through your mind? Are you thinking, like, wow, what an inspiring story of a man who never gave up for what he believed? Is that what you're thinking? Probably not, right? You're thinking, what a waste of a life, or just, what a fool. I mean, there's something deeply tragic about his story. You have here a man who devoted his life, but then all his energy, all his youth, you ask, you know, what was the end of all that? What's the point? Uh, fighting a war that's already over, a wasted life. And uh, this man's story demonstrates the importance of understanding the times in which we are living. Hiro Onada didn't understand the times in which he was living. So 29 years, he worked harder than anybody, but then we ask, what was the point? And today, we want to similarly understand what's the point of our lives? How can we live well? What are the times in which we're living? And Jesus gives us the answer to that question in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. And the answer is, the kingdom of God has come. Now, so we're going to look at what that means for us. Uh, and then there's four things. Uh, first, we're going to look at what is the kingdom of God. Second, how do we respond to the kingdom of God? Third, what do we need to live in the kingdom of God? And then fourth, why is this good news? Right? What is the kingdom? How do we respond? What do we need to live here? And then, why is this good news for us? Uh, so let's begin. So first, what is the kingdom? So the first thing we need to know about God's kingdom is that it's all about God's kingship and God's rule. So if you go back all the way to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis, uh, God creates humanity and all creation to live according to his design and under the blessing of his rule. And what happens is humanity starts saying they can handle life on their own. So they start doing their own thing. They rebel against God's kingship. And what the Old Testament shows, and really what human history shows, is how evil and how much suffering comes as a result of people taking life into their own hands. And, uh, you know, if you ever wonder why is the world such a mess, all these wars, 
all the poverty, all the injustice and violence. If you ever wonder, um, why does my life sometimes feel like such a mess? The Bible's answer is that we live in a world full of sin. Now, in the Old Testament, God's people who are living in such a miserable world begin wondering, how long will this last? When will God come, and when will he save us and make things right again? And then, the prophecy that's coming to God's people in the Old Testament is this, is that there's going to be a day called the Day of the Lord. And on this day, Messiah is going to come, the Chosen One of God, and this present world that's so full of evil and suffering will come to an end, and then the Messiah will usher in a new age, uh, the age of God's kingdom, and bringing joy, uh, peace, justice, all that's good and perfect, all that our hearts long for. That's the kingdom of God. And so, for example, this is why Jesus taught us to pray in his prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will being done on earth That is the kingdom of God. Um, Now, Jesus comes to a people who are awaiting this kind of a redemption, awaiting for this day of the Lord. And he says in today's passage that he is the Messiah, that he has brought the kingdom. And um, so, for example, you know, it's really interesting. If you look at the Gospels, you hear all these stories of, you know, demons being cast out, you know, blind seeing the healings, miraculous healings. And... um, you wonder, what's that all about? Well, some people say it shows Jesus' compassion. People say it shows Jesus' power. And, of course, all of those things is true. Uh, but uh, there's a deeper theological significance. What they show is that wherever Jesus goes, he does God's will perfectly. And God's will is manifest in his life perfectly. Therefore, the kingdom is breaking into this world. And that's why the effects of sin are being reversed. That's why the sick are healed. That's why the blind receive sight. Sin is being driven out of this world where Jesus goes. Um, But then here's the interesting thing. Even though the Messiah has come, the world as we know it, with all its suffering, all its evil, is continuing as it is. Uh, The Messiah was supposed to usher in a new age of God's perfection, but that does not seem to be what we find in our lives and in the world today. So, so raises the question, what's going on, right? What's going on? And here's where Jesus expands our understanding of God's kingdom. He says that the kingdom of God has begun, it's come, he's brought it, and yet it's not yet complete. But there will be a day, the New Testament promises, when he returns, when all that is evil, all that is unjust, all that is wrong in the world will be done for, and there will be a day when everything going forward will be God's perfections. So right now, we're sort of living in this in-between stage. There's a present kingdom of this world where there's a kingdom of God that's come. It's not yet fully done. We're sort of stuck in the middle, living between two worlds. And yet we know that God has said God's kingdom will come. And it will be perfected. It will be completed. It will last forever. And so, if you believe this, here's a question. How are we going to live? We're going to reject the values of this world, right? We're going to invest in the things of God's kingdom, right? And this brings us to our second point. How do we respond? Well, Jesus says in verse 15, he says, repent and believe the gospel. So, 
We've got to repent, and that means basically turning from your old way of life into a new way of life. There has to be a change. We need to choose to live as citizens of God's kingdom. Um, you know, there's, if you could get the next slide, please. Matthew, is that working? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, you know, it's interesting in the Gospels. Jesus, one of the ways he uses uh, to explain God's kingdom is the idea of investments. For example, we read here Matthew 6, he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's Jesus saying here? Well, let me explain. Um, imagine that I'm living in a country and there's a war, right? So the country next door invades. And imagine that I happen to know the result of this war. I happen to know that the invading country is going to win the war. So if that's the case, think for yourself, am I going to invest my savings into the banks in this country? Or am I going to buy a lot of land and property in this country? Probably not, right? Because if my country loses the war, there's no government to back up the value of the money. Whatever I have is worthless, right? Does that make sense? Um, as a really interesting uh, historical example of this, you guys know uh, there's a family, famous European family called the Rothschild family. They are the richest family in modern history. At one time, at one time people estimate this one family controlled over $350 billion of wealth. This one family. And uh, there's a really interesting story about one of the ways this family became so rich. Um, so the year is 1815, uh, Napoleon, and the French are in a battle with uh, the Duke of Wellington and the British, the famous Battle of Waterloo. And of course, we know that uh, the British win the battle and it decides the fate of Europe. But the story goes that Nathan Rothschild, one of the members of this family, he happened to be in France when this battle was being fought. And uh, he gets news that the French, Napoleon, lost the battle. And uh, he gets on the first boat he can find, the fastest boat he can find. He goes straight to the London Stock Exchange. And he starts selling everything he has. All his stocks, all his government bonds, he starts selling everything. You're like, oh, really? Boy, what's, that's sort of weird. Well, people see this. And remember, this is a family that's known for making money. So they think he must know something we don't know. So they think, oh... The British must have lost the war. So they all start selling everything they have too because they think whatever they have is going to be worthless because Britain lost the war. And so prices start plummeting. And uh, you know, soon things are just worth pennies. And uh, all of a sudden, Nathan Rothschild at the last minute buys up everything back. And then moments later, news hits London that actually the British won the battle. And then prices starts plummeting or, or rising, soaring, and then this makes Nathan Rothschild a really wealthy man overnight. Now, uh, some people say this story is more like myth and legend than historical fact, but the point is it demonstrates uh, the importance of this principle. You don't invest in a country that's on the losing side of war because whatever you have is going to be worthless, right? And exact, this is exactly what Jesus continually tells us in the Gospels. He's saying there is a kingdom coming, king, the kingdom of God is invading this world. And he says the result of this war has been decided. 
The kingdom of God will last forever, but this world and all that it stands for uh, will have an end. And so basically, Jesus is letting us in on a secret, right? He's telling us, go out and change your money into things that will be of value in the coming kingdom. Um, you know, we, we tend to think of uh, following Jesus as a sacrifice. And, you know, it is, certainly, it is a sacrifice. It is uh, sometimes very difficult. But, you know, another way to think about what the Christian life is that it's an investment. It's an investment. You know, my wife and I are going to China. We're leaving in like two weeks now. And, uh, you know, people ask us, why are you going to China? Um, pollution is bad there. It's crowded there, messy there. People there want to come here. Why, why are you living here? You want to go there. But you know, um, God is doing some incredible things in the Chinese church, and we want to be there to see it, we want to be a part of it. It's a blessing. It's a way to invest in God's kingdom. You know, there's a famous quote by the missionary, you might have heard his name, Jim Elliott. Right? He, uh, as a young man, takes his wife and young daughter to South America to share the gospel with people who have never heard the gospel. He ends up being killed by these very people he went to serve, died as a very young man. Uh, and he left these words in his journal, very powerful words. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. These are the words of a man who understands the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God has come. It demands a response, right? How are we going to live? What do we want to invest in? Now, let me just clarify something here because, you know, I, I say this and immediately people think, oh, I've got to quit my job and be a pastor, be a missionary, and I've just got to, you know, read my Bible and pray all day. And that's not what I'm talking about, right? What I'm talking about is not that, you know, certain things are more holy than others. And what I'm saying is in every aspect of life, you know, whether your job, your school, your neighborhood, uh, your family, are you embodying and following after those things that mark the life of a person who lives as a citizen of God's kingdom? Right? Are, do you value the things God values, basically? Think, for example, about the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Next slide, please. Um, Jesus, uh, Jesus gives us this to give a picture of what life in God's kingdom looks like. And he says this. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now it's interesting because our world says, Blessed are the confident, blessed are the self-assured, blessed are those who can make something out of their own lives. And you know, Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke says, Blessed are the poor. But the point is the same. Nobody wants to be poor. Nobody wants to be poor in spirit. And yet Jesus says, these are the very people who are blessed in God's kingdom. You know, this world says, blessed are the happy-go-lucky, blessed are those without a care in the world. Right? If you don't believe me, just check Instagram. Check who gets all the followings, right? But then, in this world, those who mourn find little comfort. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This world says, blessed are the beautiful, the talented, the smart, those who outcompete others to get what they want. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek, because they inherit the earth. 
you know, we can go on and on, but you get the point, right? Jesus is flipping the script. He's saying God's kingdom has a completely different value system. There's a different currency. And so he's saying part of what it means to be a Christian and to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God is this, that you consider precious what the world despises and you're suspicious of what the world values. Right? This is what marks a citizen of God's kingdom. You consider precious what the world despises and you're suspicious of what the world values. So investing in God's kingdom means that we care about the things God cares about. So for example, do you show compassion to those who are suffering? Do you get angry at injustice? Do you love people who don't seem all that lovable? Or is your life just about yourself, you know, your security, your own future, your family, your job, your grades? Are you so, so worried about yourself that you can't take risks to love other people? Because even when you come to church and do a lot of spiritual things, if your motivation is all about yourself, it's possible that you might be just investing in the kingdom of this world. And Jesus says, that is not a good foundation. That's not where you want to be. Point number three then. Um, what do we need to live in the kingdom of God? So, the kingdom of God has come. This demands a response. We need to invest in God's kingdom. But, you know, when we talk about investment, it makes it sound like the Christian life is just really, you know, something easy. It's like a no-brainer. Um, but really, we know that it's difficult, right? It's, it's very difficult at times. And the reason is because rejecting the values of this world, following the values of God's kingdom, uh, is actually hard because it's hard to see and feel like the kingdom is a reality. So, for example, you invest money, you can see how it's doing, and if it's doing well, you feel good about it. But sometimes we look at the world, and it's hard to feel like the kingdom is here. Uh, Luke 4, for example, Jesus proclaimed freedom to the captives. And yet, today, human trafficking is a $150 billion industry every year. There are, at this moment, 20 to 30 million slaves on this planet, more than any other time in human history. And so... We look at this and we think, where is the freedom that Jesus proclaimed? Matthew 11, Jesus proclaimed healing to the sick. Uh, but you know, you don't have to think far to know, think of people that are very sick. You know, people who are physically sick, people who are mentally sick. Um, you know, my wife and I, just this past three months or so, two of our friends died from cancer. Um, one, one actually, a, a, friend, a friend's wife, they had three young daughters. He just graduated from school. He just launched into a new ministry, and then his wife died of cancer. Um, and we wonder, where is the healing of God's kingdom? So like the prophet Habakkuk, we sometimes ask, next slide, please. We sometimes ask this, how long, Lord? Must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? You see, how can we say that God's kingdom is here when there are 20, 30 million people enslaved today? When we know so many people who are struggling with illnesses, depression, anxiety, cancer today, 
when we know that the world is so clearly not as it should be, how do we believe that the kingdom of God is here? And here's where faith comes in. You can only invest in the kingdom of God by faith. This is why Mark 1, verse 15, Jesus tells us the kingdom has come. He says, repent. And then he says, believe the good news. He says you have to believe. You know, it's interesting. We often think that uh, great faith is faith that produces results, right? Like, you know, if you have really great faith and you pray, like, God's going to do something. Um, you know, he's going to show you a miracle. He's going to heal the sick. All these things are going to happen. But, you know, one way to, another way to think about this, though, is if you believe something just because you actually see a miracle, if there's only visible evidence, and that's why you believe, in some ways, that's not really faith, is it? That's, we call that observation, or we call that perception. You see it, therefore, you accept it as a fact. But the Bible says in Hebrews... Faith is sure of things unseen. Anyone can believe something they see. It doesn't take any spiritual reality to be happy when life is going well. The world is happy when life goes well. But the Bible says faith is being sure of things you don't see. So as Christians, we walk by faith. And uh, sometimes that means living in a world where it seems like God is silent, and yet seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness regardless. So if you want to live well, you need to invest in God's kingdom, and this requires faith. We need to believe the good news. Uh, so we said that God's kingdom has come, that uh, it will be complete, and that we need to reject the values of this world. We said we need to invest in God's kingdom by faith. Now, um, with all that said, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, I'm going to start you know, trying really hard to now live by faith. I'm going to try really hard to uh, live for God's kingdom. <clears throat> and uh, that's not what I want you to take away, uh, sort of counterintuitive. But the kingdom of God, living for the kingdom of God, being a citizen of this kingdom, is not just about trying harder. And so this brings us to our fourth point. Why is this good news? Uh, it's interesting, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says that Jesus proclaimed the gospel of God. That word gospel, we all know, if you've been around in church, right, it means good news. It's interesting, he didn't say Jesus proclaimed the good advice of God. Jesus proclaimed the good news of God. And uh, this is where Christianity is really unique, because any other world religion, any other life philosophy, at the end of the day, it's about good advice. It's about how to improve in your own life, make something of your life. But Christianity is different because Christian, the Christian message is news. At its core, it's news. And news is not how you should live your life. News is about something that has happened outside of you, something that's happened in world history. And the good news of Christianity is this, right? It's that God's kingdom has come, and the one who rules this kingdom is better than any king we've ever seen. He's the best king that you could ever imagine. You know, whatever else you're living for in life, whatever other kings you serve, they will demand that you give up your life for them. Jesus is the only king who gives up his life for you. That's what makes him unique. He is 
the best king we can imagine. We see this, for example, in Romans 5. Uh, you could get this slide up. It says this about our king. While we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus made the ultimate investment. He made the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his own life. And he does this not because we deserve it, but because he is a loving king. And he came to save sinners. So God's kingdom is not for the strong. It's not for the self-sufficient. It's for people who are ignored and forgotten by the world. It's for people who know they need help. So if you're here today and you feel like you know, there's not much good or lovable in your life, uh, then let me tell you some good news. It's that Jesus loves you. He loves you. He invites you to a new life in this kingdom. He welcomes you. He says, you don't have to bring anything. Just come. He will receive you. He gives us the power to live a new life. He gives us power to reject the values of this world. And he gives us desire and ability to invest in God's kingdom. So here's uh, the paradox of Christianity. The key to living a meaningful life is not to try really hard to live a meaningful life. The key to living a meaningful life is to have Jesus as king over your life. And then everything else sort of falls into place after that. Uh, So let me end with an encouragement and a plea. First, an encouragement. If you're trying to live as a citizen of this kingdom and you find the journey difficult, because so often it is, as we all know, very difficult, and you find yourself discouraged and you're wondering, you know, what's the point? Uh, Should I just keep doing this? Was it worth all the trouble? then um, I hope you remember this, that God sees and he remembers. Because one day, Jesus will return in glory and he'll give you a crown of righteousness and he'll wipe away every tear and he'll say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. God is proud of you, so be encouraged and press on. Live on mission for God's kingdom here in your own communities and around the world. Second, a plea for those of you who maybe don't confess Jesus as king, or maybe you say so, but you still live as if you're your own king. You're investing in all the wrong things. Listen, don't be like Hiro Onada, right? Don't be that person. You come to the end of your life and say, I'm not sure what was the point of that all. You don't want to be there. Jesus is worthy of our lives. So have him as your king. Change your currency. Start investing in God's kingdom. It's the best investment you'll ever make. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for showing us that your kingdom has come. 
and that it is possible to enjoy the blessing of your rule, not only in the future, but even now in this world. So help us to be wise. Help us to invest in your kingdom. Let us not be afraid to give up what we cannot keep, to gain what we cannot lose. Teach us to see the world as you see it, with your eyes and your heart. May we consider a precious what the world despises and be suspicious of what the world values. May this motivate us to move out into the world in mission, both here in our own communities and around the world, to be a witness to the reality that your kingdom has come. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to that day. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.